Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Today's scripture comes from 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Hear the word of the Lord. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that is coming, and now is already in the world. Little children, you are from God, and have conquered them. For the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, what they say is from the world, and from the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God's God listens to us, and whoever is not from God does not listen to us. From this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Rob. Thanks, Tamara. Thank you, all of you, for the ways in which you continue to participate in that All Saints Day service. Pastor Steve, I remember the first year we did that when you and Mike Platter arranged that. I think that's been about 16 years ago, and so each year we have remembered those who've gone before us, and you as a church remember well your great cloud of witnesses. This morning I'm going to be continuing a pastor sermon series that Pastor John started. It's kind of a mini-sermon series. It's called Life Together. And one of the key words and phrases that Pastor John has been guiding us through with this sermon series graphic and this sermon series on 1 John is that you are a tree in a story about a forest. That was a line that our author Donald Miller about, I think, 2009, 2010, maybe over 10 years ago came, and he used that phrase in a book that he was writing called A Million Miles in a Thousand Years, and it resonated with us then, and it continues to resonate with us today. And so I want you to keep in mind this phrase that Pastor John has been guiding us through as he's been looking at 1 John, but also I want you to keep in mind the scripture that has been part of this day, which is our saints' day. It's a scripture from Hebrews 12, and I'm going to be reading verses 1 and 2. I want you to keep this in mind as we look at 1 John. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. I want you to keep in mind those verses as we look at 1 John this morning. But first, I want to introduce myself briefly. My name is Jason Smith. I'm one of the pastors here. And I've been a pastor here since I was an intern here under Dr. Steve Green, uh, back when I was in college, oh, around 17 years ago, as I think that many years I've been here as one of your pastors. I'll get in a little bit more about why I volunteered to preach on All Saints Day, but first we want to look at the text because your pastor 
and the pastor before him always preaches from the text that God has given us. And I want to thank you for the ways in which you encourage me. I feel in some ways like the backup quarterback. Uh, you're all so hopeful for me today. Uh, Brad, my good friend, tackled me. You're going to do great. I get little whispers from people over here, and I get my phone is full of text messages, of encouraging text messages. My Sunday school class sitting up close saying, "Go, oh, you can do it. You can do it. It's great. You guys are a great church who loves me well. And you know that my task that Steve and John have tasked me with is to love you. I don't preach very often, maybe just a couple of times a year. When I preach most often, it's when I preach your funerals. But the task that I've been given and this role that I've been given and a role that I love and cherish is that you've asked me to love you. And in many ways, you've asked me to bury you and to help you to teach you to learn how to die. And so we're going to talk about that today on All Saints Day. I'm going to weave an All Saints Day sermon in the middle of a sermon about 1 John 4. So I appreciate the leeway you're going to give me with the text. But the people in 1 John, the writer, the elder that's writing to the people in 1 John, they, they were trying to figure out how to love one another. There was a group of people who had left, and those people thought they knew the truth. Those people were in disagreement with one another, and the elder who's writing in 1 John, he keeps saying to them, love one another, love one another, God is love, love one another. It's a great book to preach from. And Pastor John wants you to love one another. He wants you to say again and again, would you believe, of all weeks, to say love one another? Do we, do we need to disagree Christianly this week when we're all voting on Tuesday and there may be somebody in your pew who's going to vote differently than you? Can you love them? Can you receive them as a gift? And can you love them even though you disagree with them? That was part of the project of the first John opportunity for an elder to come to a group of people and say, would you love one another? You can hardly go a paragraph without having 1 John say, love one another, except for the paragraph that's been given to us today. It's all about this antichrist and this and that, and man, what a bummer. Next week's going to be so great. Next week's, come next week to hear that God loves you and you should love one another. But I'm going to cheat and use that same text as well. But in 1 John 4, verse 1, you say, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you will know the Spirit of God. This is important. By this you will know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that is coming and is now already in the world. I want to back up to verse 2. It says, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. So this community was working on the idea of the truth of the incarnation, that Jesus was truly God. They were trying to answer the question, is Jesus really Yahweh? Is this person who has come in the flesh, is that really Yahweh? Or maybe better, was Jesus really Yahweh? And these people gathered together in this group, in this community. Some of them had split off because they had said that Jesus was not really Yahweh. That Jesus was not fully human and not fully divine. Well, when I hear that, I get clicked into it. such an excitement because that is the project of disciple. 
Many of you know one of the main roles beyond loving you is to teach this big Wednesday night Bible study that goes for 30 weeks, two hours a week. You read over 50% of the Bible. These are the groups. This is the year two. This is year two. This was year three. Raise your hands if you're in these pictures. This is year four. What a great group. This is year five. And we are now in year six of Disciple. This is the project of Disciple. We are trying to answer the question, what does God look like? Discerning the Spirit, testing the spirits. what does God look like? Brett, you're in Disciple right now. What we are trying to let you know and everyone in Disciple is the same God who created the heavens and the earth. That's Jesus. The same God who split the waters at Exodus and delivered a people. There's Ed. Ed, remember this? Remember my sermon on this in Disciple? God splits the waters and he allows the people to move into the promised land and he frees them from slavery. That God is Jesus. Oh, Ed, you got it, right? Yes. Who over here is in Disciple? Phil, you took Disciple? That same God and, and where's, where's the Riggins? Riggins, stand up. My very, where are the Riggins? Stand, Roger and I, you stand up. Yes, you liked it so much you took it again. <laughs> Remember that exile sermon? That the, when the people of God had gone away to a foreign land. They'd gone away to a foreign land and they almost for, thought that God had forgotten them. But what does God do? God comes to a lost and forgotten people and he makes a way home for them and he brings them home back to the promised land. That God, that's Jesus. So this is the problem. Oh, the Hardys, what a great year we had. Oh, wasn't it so fun? Because the same God who comes as a baby, that's the same spirit of God. So the Father, the Son, and the Spirit they are all in the idea of what it means to look like Jesus. We have said this for 20 years. What does God look like? God looks like Jesus. And if this is hard for you to understand, because you see a God of the Old Testament that is full of anger and wrath and violence, and then you see almost a switch in Jesus, mark on your calendars next September because you have to take disciple from me. Because for some of you, that's how you've understood the Bible. You've understood the Bible as that there's this angry, wrathful God of violence, and then all of a sudden God changes his mind, and there's this God now that God is loving anew. What the project of disciple is, and I would say somewhat the project of this church, is trying to say, what does God look like? So we test and discern the spirits, and what does God look like from the beginning of time until the end of days God looks like Jesus. And God looks like the embodied love of Jesus. And so, as we test the spirits, the one spirit that is going to declare who Jesus is in our lives, and it is truth, it is the word love. There is a delightful book. Steve, you should sue this guy because he's just taking your stuff. Um... There's a guy named Bradley Jirsek who wrote a great book called A More Christ-Like God. It was the book that's just a delightful book by Jirsek. But he decided to write this children's book, and it is so good. If you have children, you should buy this book on Amazon Prime right now. It'll be at your doorstep by Tuesday. <laughs> or support your local bookseller, including my friend Ben down at Combo Place Books. It's so good. I'll tell Ben to stock this. 
Brad wrote this book, and it's so delightful. There's 16 different images, 16 different pictures. And it's my favorite book that's become my favorite book for to read to our girls because it's short and it's simple. And essentially is what it's saying is what does God look like? Jesus showed us what God looked like. I'm going to read the very first page, which is just the page on incarnation. And it goes like this. What is God like? Jesus showed us. God came to our world. God came to live with us. And why did God do that? Because God loves the whole world. And God wants everyone to know God and to love God. How did God come to our world? Jesus showed us. Do you remember when? Do you remember how? Yes. God came as a person, a very tiny person. God came as a baby. What a great surprise. What was that baby's name? Do you know? Yes. The baby's name was Jesus. An angel gave Jesus another name, Emmanuel. And what does that mean? Emmanuel means God is with us. Jesus is God with us. Maybe I just should have read these 16 pages for your sermon today. But that seems like it would have been cheating. Jesus showed us the very nature and character of God. And as you test the spirits, as you try to figure out what is truth and what is loving, look to Jesus. Jesus shows us that the very heart of God has always been relational. It has always been vulnerable. It has always been self-sacrificial. It has always been love. One of the phrases you hear often from our senior pastor is Christianity is an odd way of being alive. And isn't it though? You have gathered here for me to tell you that you are going to die. What other places in our culture wants to remind you of that? You've gathered here for me to tell you that you are a tree and a story about a forest. That the whole project of your life isn't about your individual happiness, but there's something bigger. There's a bigger project going on here than just your internal happiness. Where else in the culture are you going to go that says that you're not the most important thing and you're about going to die? I don't know. Not very many places. This might be it. And even when it comes to churches, this might be it. Hey, y'all, you're going to die, right? And so when Pastor John was moving through this fall and working on finishing up a book and pastors were seeing when we might be able to preach, I raised my hand really, really high and said, I want to preach All Saints Day. It's kind of my Sunday. It's kind of the Sunday that I feel like is my favorite Sunday of the year. A close second behind Easter, you know, the day we celebrate that Christ is risen from the dead, right in the close second is All Saints Day. And I wanted this morning in, in light of, of 1 John <laughs> to also tell you that there's something about your life that we as your pastor and I as your pastor want to tell you. It's that we are frail. It's that we are fragile. And I, as I look out there, I look at it, all the crises that I've seen in your life that I've had the privilege of walking through with you. There is some days like Ash Wednesday in the season of Lent in which we mark you with ashes and say, from dust you have come, from dust you shall return. Repent and believe the good news. And that doesn't come this day, but it, there are some seasons of that. This is one of those days that the church gathers. 
I have been shaped by you because you have entrusted me to lay you into the ground. And trust the promise and the hope of the resurrection. This week I've gone through my box of all of my funeral programs since Steve brought me along to be an intern. I'm not going to read these names, but look through these 93 names of people that I have helped lay to rest these last 17 years. I didn't include the 15 or 16 of those who are just opportunities that I've had for some of your friends and some of your neighbors and some of your loved ones that were not a part of this church. And so about 110 or so funerals, I've stood in front of a pulpit right about here, and I've laid people into the arms of Jesus with the hope and the promise of the resurrection. You can't do that and not be shaped and formed by that practice. I am who I am because of the names beyond me. These are some of the names that are in my great cloud of witnesses. These are some of the names that are in your great cloud of witnesses. These are some of the names that are in the forest that surrounds me as a tree. These are some of the names that are in your forest that surround you as a tree. These are the people who have shaped who I am as I've walked into their rooms, and I've walked into their homes, and I've walked into their hearts, and I've told them that God loves them. That's the project that you've given me. To walk into your rooms when you're about to die and tell you that God loves you. That God loves you no matter what you've done. That God loves you right now. And there is a hope and a promise of the resurrection for you, even you at this exact moment. And so I've turned into the person who I am. So last night, under its fourth revision, I, I went ahead and made sure that my slideshow was ready for my funeral. You can't get to be me without knowing that I carry on me at all times my funeral slideshow on my iPhone. And if there's a great picture that happens, man, it's hard, because I only want about 100 pictures, so I've got to find one I can get rid of to add a new one. So this one will be included. It's an iconic picture. I've looked at this picture of you and I every day we've been married. It sits on my bathroom counter and has for the last 17 years. There's some iconic pictures. I also have Katie's slideshow ready. Um, <laughs> due to insurance purposes, uh, I named hers Katie's Best Life Pictures. Mine's named Jason's Funeral Slideshow. Um, I also made tweaks last night to my, my, my um, document to help, help you know what will happen and what you'll preach from and who will be the eulogy, who will be my pallbearers. And let me tell you something, just as an aside, would you do that for your family? I don't care how old you are. Would you love your family well enough to prepare for your own passing? To say, these are my favorite hymns. We will sing Amazing Grace, and we will sing Come Thou Fount. And my girls know those. At my funeral service, we will, we will read the Shema aloud, and every single day, my kids say the Shema. We will have Pastor John preach from a passage that's the... <laughs> I have it all planned out. Even so, my best friends give me such a hard time because if something fun happens and we're all together, I say, guys, we have to get a picture. It's not just for Instagram. It's because it needs to go in my funeral slideshow. And now, my friend Jeremy Lamb, who's working this morning, 
he will say, every time we have a big picture like this, he will say to the person taking the picture, hey, everybody, smile for eternity. <laughs> and the click will go. Because he knows that picture will probably not be in just my slideshow, but your slideshow too. Right? I have all of those and some of those ready. John, hate to break it to you, got your slideshow ready. Pastor Steve, hate to break it to you, got it ready. You can't become me unless (laughs) you can't become me unless you've been shaped and formed by the funerals that I've done. So I read a book this last week, a recommendation from my wife and some of her friends by Kate Bowler. It's called Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies That I've Loved. Great little book. In that book, she talks about, it's her memoir of how she came down with cancer at a very young age in her 30s, and she's trying to figure out life and go through life, and she has a quote that just hit me, and she says, I am preparing for death, and everyone else is on Instagram. I'm not trying to compare my life to Kate's struggle with cancer, but you can't undergo 110 or so funerals and not think about your own last moments of your days. Because at some point, at some point, there's a chance that I will visit you and I will bring you hope and I will bring you love and I will lay you or your loved ones into the ground with the hope and the promise of the resurrection. And I want you to think about your life. I want you to pay attention to your life. I want you to test the spirits and discern the spirits and try to figure out in what is what I'm doing Loving. Have I taken on the project that my life is not just about me, but I am a tree in a story about a forest? Do I understand that I'm part of this great cloud of witnesses that is pushing me to look to Jesus? One of the things that I think that we as a culture at times do is we try to keep an arm's length away from death. Some of you may be uncomfortable, but I keep telling you that you're going to die. Because it's not a message you hear very often. Jerry Bell, I still miss giving Eucharist to Jerry in his wheelchair right back by the sound booth. I still miss it. What a giant of a man. And when Jerry, when Mike and Vanette called me and told me that Jerry had passed away, the girls were in the car with me. I've got two girls, one's 11 and one's 6. I don't want them to be afraid of death. I don't want them to have a death anxiety. I don't want them to be fearful of that. So we go to nursing homes and get to know some of my friends that are your friends that don't get to come as often, people like Jim Harmon, people like Donetta Murrah. And when Mike and Vanette called and Jerry passed away, I brought the girls over. Even though Jerry had passed away, the girls gathered around him and placed their hands on him, and we gave them, we gave him these last rites. And it was a beautiful moment, and the girls were there with me. Just a few weeks later, we lost our little dog, Emma. Have you all lost a pet before? The girls had been there with Jerry. And then when Katie was holding Emma, and the girls had to say goodbye because Emma got a cancer that was just not survivable for her. I watched my two girls at 6 and 11 
love their dog till the last moments of her breathing life. And there's a picture that's so intimate to me, I didn't even feel like I could include it in the slideshow. Because my 11-year-old girl has her arms wrapped around our little puppy, and she is crying her eyes out. Cried more than she has her whole life when that little dog who has always been there for her, she said goodbye to. I was a mess. I cry all the time. But my dog died. My only dog I've ever had died. And I was crying so hard. And then McCall was crying so hard. And then I had to take out my camera and snap that picture. Because although I was so sad, I was so happy that McCall had given her life to her dog in ways that she was heartbroken. And I got to tell her, you have loved somebody that was not yourself so much. What a gift. What a joy it is to give your life to someone else in love. I want you to the rest of your life, McCall, to love people so much that when they pass away, you are heartbroken. I don't want your life to only be about you. I don't want your life to be just about your own happiness. I want you to love others with so much love that you're heartbroken your whole life. Even though heartbreak may come, choose to love. Don't guard your heart so much that you can't love people with abandon. And what Jesus says in this project about what it means for us to discern the spirits, he tells us to love. He tells us to forgive. He tells us to get rid of grudges. Pastor, how many times should I forgive someone? I think he says 77 times 7, and I'm terrible at math, but that seems like way too many times. <laughs> then he's so audacious to say, love your enemies. Love those who are different from you. Love those who people will get you in trouble for loving. Loving the wrong people will always get you in trouble. It got Jesus in trouble. It got him killed. Love people so deeply, all times of people. And then people say, well, who should I love? And they ask Jesus, well, Jesus says, well, maybe you should love your neighbor. And then people say, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus says, all the neighbors. Amen. Loving people with your whole heart may mean a life of being misunderstood. Love people anyway. The whole project, the discerning and testing the spirits, is trying to say, this is where we end up. We are a people who don't just love ourselves. You are a tree in a story about a forest. You have entered into a project that you are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. So be a people who love one another. So I've said a few times now that you're going to die. Isn't it amazing that each week we participate in practices that remind you of the death and resurrection of our Savior? And if you so choose, you remind yourself of your own death as you've died to sin and risen with Christ as you remember your baptism. So it's not that odd. It's not that odd. Every time you gather around this table, 
you recognize that just as Christ was the taken, blessed, broken, and given Savior of the world, you too are the taken, blessed, broken, and given people of God. And so if you've been asked to serve this morning, would you come and gather around this table as we make preparation for these moments? And if you've been asked to serve, can I ask one other thing? Can you prepare your heart now? You get the opportunity to look into someone's eyes and to tell them, this is the body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ shed for you. You who are about to stand and receive these elements, could you prepare your hearts in these moments to recognize the frailty of your own life, to recognize that you are a tree in a story about a forest, and to recognize the great cloud of witnesses that have surrounded you and are pushing you towards a faith that recognizes it's not just about you. There's a bigger project going on here. Pastor John continues to remind us that this following after Jesus is not just following a set of rules. It's partnering with God to change the whole world as he loves the world through you. God loves the world through you. And you come to this table to remind you of what God has done for you and then as an opportunity for you to be sent to be God in the world. Why do you love one another? Because God has loved you. This is the commission. The commission is not because you should. The commission is because God has done something in your heart and life to change your life, and you take that love and you go love the world. And so, in a few moments, I'm going to ask you to stand, move to your left, and come down forward, and open up your hands, and receive this little piece of matzah bread. And we use a gluten-free matzah bread so everyone can be part of one loaf, but also to tie us to the story that the same Jesus is the same God with Passover. And so you'll take that little wafer and you'll dip it in the juice, dip it in the cup, and you'll take that as a means of grace that God may transform you into someone to go love the world, that you would love the world through and in Christ. If you can't get up, Aaron and Katie will come to you. We practice an open table at OKC First Church. Who is welcome here at this place? Well, all of you are. Of course all of you are. If you know that you have a need for God and can sing this song, Oh, How I Need You, you are welcome at this table. Let me pray for these elements as we move towards this sacrament of grace for our lives. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would bless these elements that have been prepared for us, that you would bless them and transform them into a means of grace, God, that we may be transformed into your image, into your likeness, and that we might be embodied and commissioned and equipped to be sent out to love like you've loved. For it is on the night that he was betrayed that Jesus took bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. And that same night, even with an enemy present, he took the cup and he blessed the cup and he redefined it as the new covenant in his blood. 
And that new covenant changes our lives. And so God, as we gather here, would you meet us here with your spirit and by your grace. We love you. Amen. It's now time for you to rise and gather at the table of the Lord. May God be with us as we partake.